All right, cool. I don't see anybody else in there, but I thought I heard somebody else pop in. I'm not sure. Uh, I heard no the words. little jingle. Let's get it. Let's get it cracking. Welcome right. back. Take it back to the beginning. 
I could have bought a place in Dumbo before it was Dumbo for like two million. That same building today is worth 25 million. Guess how I'm feeling? Dumbo. Light nigga, dog nigga, faux nigga, real nigga. Rich nigga, poor nigga, house nigga, feel nigga. Still nigga. Light nigga, dark nigga, faux nigga, real nigga, rich nigga, poor nigga, house nigga, feel nigga, still nigga, still nigga. You wanna know what's more important than throwing away money at a strip club? Credit. You ever wonder why Jewish people own all the property in America? That's how they did it. Financial freedom, my only hope. Fuck living rich and dying broke. I bought some artwork for one million. Two years later, that shit worth two million. Two years later, that shit worth eight million. I can't wait to get this shit to my children. Y'all think it's bougie. I'm like, it's fine. But I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for 999. I turn a two to a four, four to an eight. I turn my life into a nice first week release date. Mm. Y'all here still taking advances, huh? Me and my niggas taking real chances, uh. Y'all on the gram holding money to your ear. There's a disconnect. We don't call that money over here, yeah. Light nigga, dark nigga, faux nigga, real nigga. Rich nigga, poor nigga, house nigga, feel nigga. Holding money to your ear. There's a disconnect. We don't call that money over here, yeah. It's still taking advances, huh? Me and my niggas taking real chances, uh. Y'all on the gram holding money to your ear. There's a disconnect. We don't call that money over here, yeah. We, we, I think that last, that last, uh, bar that I just cut it off on, I think that is very much where we stand, uh, as far as this situation with Jay-Z, NFL, Kaepernick, and everybody picking sides. It's not... I don't personally believe that it's important to even worry about what Jay-Z is doing or what he's talking about as far as, uh, as far as helping the community and what have you. Uh, we went over bits and pieces of that last week. And again, I think that last bar is very, very important for us to pay attention to who is this we that Jay-Z is talking about when he says we don't call that money over here. So it's a lot of uh, conflicting statements within that song, which that I love, by the way, don't get me wrong, but you have to know what you're hearing when you're hearing it. Uh, And I just, for whatever reason, I'm not even sure that just came to my, to my soul. And I wanted to share that. Uh, But, Today is August the 27th, 2019. Welcome to another episode of Real Life Radio brought to you by Foundational Radio located on blacktalkradionetwork.com. Shout out to Scotty. Uh, He's going through a lot of problems, as we all are. Um, But his problems, specifically uh, because we depend on him, uh, affects us. So, uh, 
continue to donate, go to blacktalkradionetwork.com and uh, search for the big black uh, B button to donate. Uh, he's still looking to reach the goal of 24K. Uh, it's been some time. Not odd at all that he hasn't reached there, considering the uh, state that we're in. But we find that a lot of a lot of people who are not trying to help progress the uh, the intellectual capacity, whether it be on racism, whether it be on politics, uh, economics, you can find a myriad of subjects on Black Talk Radio Network. And you would think, with all of the help that all of these shows combined has given to the people we wouldn't have a problem he wouldn't have a problem excuse me uh getting some help financing something that's a burden to him because yes if you didn't know as much as we love to uh get on here share information as well as learn information from each other uh the host of these shows who produce these shows such as myself and Roz uh Scotty and a large quantity of other people who take their own money to produce these shows that some people love, some people hate, but people still tend to tune in. And if you appreciate that, you know, that's just kind of what you do because this is a business, whether you realize it or not, uh, whether someone's getting paid or not, there is some money being exchanged. And most times, in in our case, I should say, the money that's that's being spent is coming out of our pockets, out of our families, and it's going into this so that you could nurture your family with the information that we believe to be important to our community. Uh, with that being stated, uh, Brother Rise, how are you doing this afternoon? Hey, my brother, still learning. My allergies are acting up so if i have to mute myself and sneeze 30 times excuse me um what you said is a mouthful also please um join btr community that's another way you can help contribute to sustaining the viability of black talk radio network uh the black talk media project and uh continue to support the things that we do to try and bring you information that's important to our community uh that line that you cut it off at i would say this it also took me immediately to the Popeye Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich situation. Facts. I was getting into because that. Because you got to think about it. They made $23 million in free, I stress, free advertising from black people just going postal on all social media platforms to spread this nonsense about a freaking chicken sandwich. And, and the- Black Talk Media Project cannot get $24,000 in order to sustain it. This is this is insane. And, and to me, that also ties into the Jay-Z line as well, because it's the attention economy. Yes. Black people's attention generated $23 million in less than 24 hours. Now, hold on. Let me stop. Can I, can I pause you for a second right there? Yes, you can. Because yes, there, will, can. there will be a lot of people that will look at that and say, I, I told you, that's our spending power. No. There's no such thing. I, I always have to uh, reiterate this uh, from time to time. Yes. There's no such thing as spending, spending power. You have, the moment you spend your money, you lose 
any leverage that you had by having it because you no longer have it. Therefore, there was no power gained or transferred unless we're talking about on the other end where the people who you're purchasing goods from have gotten rid of some of their inventory. So there is no such thing as spending power. If if we had any kind of power, it would be our saving power, saving our money and not spending it on $8 chicken sandwiches. I'm just saying. But uh, I heard they fight, though. I'm <laughs> I ain't had one myself, but I heard they fight. But check this out, because you was uh, back to the Jay-Z thing. Um, mm-hmm. Again, with this we don't call that money. Who is this we? When you look at the Popeyes versus Chick-fil-A, and I, I look at things pretty awkwardly uh, on a regular basis, um, helps me produce answers that nobody uh, even asked a question to. <laughs> That's, and I know that well, may sound I wanna, crazy. I want to go in on that question you asked because I thought it was quite important. I was a part of my initial uh, discussion earlier. Is this. Okay, and I'll finish up when you get done. Go ahead. No problem. When it comes to the, the, the we don't think that's money over here, he's talking about a certain class of white people. Facts. And what I mean is this. I'm not going to trash Jay-Z as a black man. and I practice black self-respect. I am honest about the things that I do speak about, you know, and that I know about, but I'm not going to take some of what I use to bash him or down, you know, play him, downplay him because of uh, his flaws and his character traits. We all have flaws in our character. Um, His are just quite notable and quite expensive because of where he is and his position in the world and how he got there and all of that. But the bottom line is we all have things with us, so I'm not going to pass judgment on him on that level because it's not for me to do. Yeah, what I, I just ask that this, we notice what we notice and don't try to change it to something else. That's the point of speaking about it. It's not about downplaying him or trying to you know, disrespect him or trying to make him uh, the enemy because we know who the colonizer is really the problem. It's just that we've been so successfully indoctrinated towards self-hatred that the way the the myriad of ways in which it expresses itself is just unfathomable and in our business dealings it happens with the chick-fil-a versus popeye situation and you look at black talk media project you look at sites like black junction you look at sites like btr community you look at a whole bunch of different platforms started by black people for black people that black people don't support but yet in our everyday situations we support white businesses white things all the time and this is what it is when jay-z got to a particular point in his career he started to get in bed with upper echelon jewish males which are the people who run the music industry and in order for him to be in the position as a billionaire that he is today they needed to distance him from dame dash if you know the history of Rockefeller, it was Dame Dash, Kareem Biggs, and um, Jay-Z that started the label together. Dame Dash and Kareem Biggs are from Harlem. We know that if you know New York history, you know that Harlem is the moneymaker. That's why KRS said it. Manhattan keeps on making it. Brooklyn keeps on taking it because we was known as stick-up kids and, and robbers. Bronx keeps creating it, and we're not going to disrespect Queens because Queens is on the map and always has been. But I would just say that that is very, a very accurate assessment of New York history that uh, Harlem people were known for getting money in any way, by any means possible. And they actually uh, 
facilitated a lot of the sparks in the minds of people in other boroughs on how they could get money because there were such brilliant hustlers that came from that particular part of the city. Now, when Jay-Z, if you study the history of Rockefeller and you look at what happened, it was Leo Cohen who wanted to make a wedge between Dame Dash and Jay-Z. And that was in order for them to isolate Jay-Z so that they could use him for their means and ends, which is what they did. If you study the history of Dame Dash, I'm not saying Dame Dash is perfect. He's made mistakes as well. But he's a brilliant businessman. And one thing he always stood for was for the upward mobility of black people. He taught a lot of people who were on his label how to become successful, how to create other businesses outside of the hip-hop arena so that they didn't have to depend on doing shows and going to the studio and running themselves ragged in a music career to make their money. He showed them other means of starting uh, film film projects, film businesses, um, clothing businesses, just a, a myriad of things. He's a brilliant business person. and But it, it, they have many recorded situations where – Record label executives, white Jewish ones, will go behind his back to have meetings with and about Jay-Z that he wasn't privy to when in their contract because Biggs, um, Kareem Biggs, uh, um, Dame Dash, and Jay-Z were equal partners. He, they, it was stipulated in their contractual arrangement that there was to be no meetings without all of them, without Dame Dash being present. And he snuck up on them many times and had to curse people out of Def Jam, and he would film himself, and nobody would have answers as to why they have any secret meetings that he wasn't told about. YouTube. So this was something. They on ahead. YouTube right now. Just throwing Exactly. So you can see that there was a wedge being placed between them, and Jay-Z understood that in order for him to reach his highest heights, that he needed to distance himself from Dame. And that is exactly what they were able to successfully facilitate, of course, with his assistance, because I, I think I'm, I could be incorrect because I'm not sure I'm not Jay-Z himself. But I think he understood that the type of black, the type of black, uh, represent, black power representation that Dame Dash was in the industry was a detriment to his business goals. And it ties into what we talked about last week when I said that his favorite MC was Talib Kweli because he said that Talib Kweli's content was what he said he wished he could rap about and he would have liked to, but he knew if he did, he would have never made it to be the Jay-Z we know him to be. So he sacrificed doing that to make drug, drug dealer rap. So he made all his money off of telling, telling about his exploits and the exploits of other people he grew up around. Their exploits in, in the, in the uh, uh, cocaine and crack business is how he made pretty much his life. And then, of course, he, him and Dame again, started the spinoff business with the, um, with the filmmaking and they did the whole state property, state property too, and all the other films that they made and things like that. And Jay-Z is continuing now that they separated with doing his documentaries, dealing with the stuff that like Khalif Browder and other things, Trayvon Martin, I believe he, he, I think he's involved in that one too. And there's a couple others that he's working on, but this is, a, this is what it is, is that the people who he's talking to are the people who sign the paychecks of the wealthiest artists in the game. So it's the equivalent of Michael Jordan and black people say, Michael Jordan's the richest, all get up. You know, he's, he's super rich. And, but Michael Jordan is nothing compared to the people who sign the checks that, he's, that he receives. And Jay-Z is nothing compared to the people who sign the checks that he receives. And most people don't understand that. So in order for him to play in those circles, he needed to shed certain parts, certain groups of people that were around him that would have been impediments to, to him reaching those heights. 
due to their position being a black-centered position versus his position being a money-centered position. So when he says, we don't call that money over here, he's like, me and the people that I roll with, yeah, we don't, we don't call that money. Because the people he roll with, you'll see them walking down the street with some, you know, dirty jeans that got ro- rolled up at the bottom with some white skips on, a dirty T-shirt, and then you go in their house and all of their fixtures are solid gold. Their toilet seat might be solid gold. The bidet is gold. You ain't never seen nothing like it in the house. But when they walk out, there's no gold, there's no jewelry, no nothing. Most they're going to have on is a wedding ring. And if they do have on the chain, it's a thin little gold chain, and that's it. You would have no idea that, they, that they're being driven around in Maybachs and all kinds of stuff and that they have the best of everything because they don't display their riches. It is, it is African culture where we display our riches by wearing some of it on our person. That is something that that's a tradition that 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 drug dealers did do here in America. Drug dealers in the Caribbeans and in Africa do it. Kings do it in Africa. You know, in the Caribbean, it's a thing where gold is a thing to wear. It's just that in a lot of these countries, the economy's so bad that to wear gold will get you, you might get you kidnapped and and you might be disappeared for that stuff that you're wearing. But I mean, back in the days, that's how it is. My mother has gold. She wears gold out the wazoo when she when she's going out and things. But that is a cultural thing. And it's not that you're wearing all of your riches. It's just displaying the fact that you have something of value. And then it, it's supposed to elevate the way that you look. And then you carry yourself with the character of a person who has sense because you have that access. And what it is is that he's in those circles that don't do that anymore. So they've te- trained him differently. If you listen to the song um, that he wrote, uh, Family Feud, which is one of my favorite songs that he did on that 444 album, he actually talks about giving his ch- his daughter liquid gold. He said, Beyonce's in the kitchen giving, giving um, my daughter liquid gold. He's talking about colloidal gold. When have you ever heard a rapper talk about colloidal gold or colloidal silver or colloidal anything? Jay-Z is the first person in the history of rap, and I'm a hip-hop historian. I'm, a, I'm also an artist and producer myself who I've ever heard in a record talking about drinking gold. So you know that he's in another, another, uh, at another level because these people are giving him secrets to their success. And as a result, he's, he's, he's giving you the – because Jay-Z's been brilliant at that in his raps. He'll give you little tidbits of things, and if you know, know what he's talking about, there's a whole world behind what he's talking about. But he's just giving you just a tidbit, and if you're smart enough, you'll pick that gem up and say, oh, Jay-Z just dropped some real serious heavy stuff here. But the average person, it'll go right over their head. So this is what he's talking about. They don't care about how many dollars you hold to your ear and you be acting like it's a cell phone because these people have real gold and silver as real money. They understand what real money is. And that is the reason why they don't lavishly spend and, 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 and show what they have. You go in their house and you'll see what they have if they allow you to see that. <laughs> They're very secretive about what they have because they understand that there's a way that you want to function underneath the radar. And black people don't culturally have that. That is something that either that has to be an innate form of codification, a form of codification you've been cultivated with from, from your parents, or you come in contact with another person from possibly another ethnic group or culture who has that particular form of codification in their culture, and then they start dropping those little gems on you. And you say, you know what, that's actually real smart. 
you know, to do, to do things the way that these people do things in regards to how they deal with money and whether or not they show their money. Because if you notice, remember back in the days, Jay-Z used to have a ju- dookie chains. He used to have gold fronts. Yeah. Um, he used to wear rings. He used to do all of that. Look at Jay-Z today. You don't see a piece of gold on him at all. I don't even see him with a wedding ring on. We all know he's married to Beyonce, but I mean, there is no jewelry anymore. Go through Jay-Z's career. You're going to see that he was iced out by, <laughs> better than most because he, he was making his, uh, um, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in the street. So he came into the game with gold and with, and with high-end cars and all of that that he acquired through doing his, streets, his street hustle. But if you look at him today, you wouldn't think he has what he has. But if you go through his history, you'll see Jay-Z was like a lot of the other rappers that, you know, people look up to with the gold and everything. And that wasn't rented jewelry. That was his jewelry. <laughs> that was stuff he really bought. Because a lot of rappers wear rented jewelry and, and fake stuff, and people think it's real. And then you have some artists where it's real. Slick Rick, his gold was real. It wasn't rented. It wasn't borrowed. You know, it is known that Slick Rick walked around with real stuff. And he, he got ran up on a few times for some things because people knew what he had. You know, so this is what it is. And that's what I'm saying. The people that he's talking about are the people who are the most powerful people in the business. You called who me. to check with people like him. So here I am. And he wants to know how to be them like him. So he's taking and he's applying it in the most shrewd um, business tactics ever and in a way that has no codification to it. So we can speak, and some people will speak about the mistakes that they feel that he made and things of that nature, um, his character flaws and how that ties into certain things. There was a great video where they um, they discussed, they compared Jay-Z to an African kingdom. They said, what what makes great Jay-Z members of an African kingdom? And what they talked about was King Afonso of the Congo when he was converted to Christianity and how he didn't understand he was, when he got converted, he made that the, one of the national religions. And what happened was it gave complete entree to the missionaries to take over the Congo. And they were kidnapping so many Africans to take into slavery that he actually wrote a letter to the king of Portugal because Portugal and Congo had a great uh, economic relationship with each other for many hundreds of years prior to the slave trade. But when the slave trade started, they sent in the missionaries, converted him to Christianity. He believed that this Christianity was the greatest thing since sliced bread and that he was going to be brothers, spiritual brothers with these white Portuguese. And then he basically found out that they were kidnapping most of his subjects. He wasn't going to have a country to rule over because they were all being sold into slavery. So he wrote a letter to the king of Portugal, and the king of Portugal basically was like, you know, screw you. We're already doing what we're doing. Like, it's what it is. Like, you have no control over this. And he was basically used as a proxy for Portugal in order to be a religion, in order for them to take over the Congo. And it was like Jay-Z was kind of used against black people in the NFL that way with the whole NFL deal, because a lot of people don't know Jermaine Dupri was offered the same deal that he was offered. And he actually was the one who told Jermaine Dupri not to sign that deal. And then he turned around and took the same deal well, that he told Jermaine Dupri not to mess with. Well, hold so on. This is, this is, they, uh, go ahead. You know, I don't know what happened because now they're saying that he uh, – now he's saying that he never said that. That that's getting into a whole nother uh discussion. But it's you you're yeah. right. You know, the the reason I had brought him up in the first place was to uh to just always remember we have been told what's mm-hmm. going on. We just have to uh listen. 
when they speaking to us. That's why I stopped it at that bar because it's a lot of people mm-hmm. that's trying to figure out how, who is this going to help because uh, for the few of us that watched the interview, you know, he told mm-hmm. an elaborate plan about about all of the different entertainment purposes that he was going to be doing. But, you know, the mm-hmm. social issues, they was pretty non-existent. You know, they was getting to it. So, yeah, just just understand he getting his he getting his bag right now, as they say. Yeah, and, and you I know, ain't mad at him. You could, yeah. Some people could spend time being upset trying to decode it. Some people could care less, and then there's others that realize <laughs> that he's getting his bag and not allowing that to be the focus if they are being active. As far as uh, like, like say for instance, the Kaepernick deal, it has nothing to do with Kaepernick. Still, you know, he did right. some things and got some awareness. Now Jay Z, he doing some things and he got some more. Uh, it's bringing up a, it's bringing the topic back, whether you looking at it from his point of view or not. Uh, it's a lot of we right. speaking about it right now, right? So, mm-hmm. but if you're not uh, active as far as uh, getting your message out, then all of it's vanilla anyway. You know, just just don't even let it bother you. It's Be done with it. It's really this. This is what it boils down to. Every, like like Scotty says so, so often, all skin folk ain't kin folk. Just because the person is black and they come from a low-income neighborhood and they happen to make it where they are successful according to white standards, they have money according to white standards, and they're doing some of the things that uh, upper echelon white people are able to do. Just because they're black doesn't mean that they have a black-centered agenda. It just means that they happen to be a black person who did the things that they did. And Jay-Z is a person who, you know, is just one of those people who isn't aligned heavily um, in certain aspects, because he has done some things for black folks now that he has the opportunity as far as, you know, bailing people out of jail. We talked Thanks. about that for Father's Day and all of those things. So he's done a lot of things. You know, I remember in that conversation, he said, for the last 365 days, I can tell you everything that I did. He's like, I could tell you all the people I let out of jail. I helped free from jail. I can tell you about the people who I helped deal with this, that. He just ran down a short list of things. And he's like, I can tell you what I did with the last 365 days. The question is, what is everybody else doing? Facts. And that's that's like, what else like, I was going to say, you know. Yeah, and it's uh, true. It's a it's a true statement. He's doing what he thinks he can do from his position based on who he is. And if you know who he is, you know that he's very tentative about dealing with subjects that are sensitive to blacks because he's in bed with powerful whites. And you don't want to step on the toes of the people who help make you a billionaire in in doing what they would consider self-serving interests because all quote unquote it looks like all you're doing is trying to help black people and you know that in this society the system of white supremacy helping black people is a dangerous thing yo and it's a lot of fuller always says that if you want attention from the enemy start doing something constructive as a black person for black people yo they do a lot of work too go ahead I mean, yeah. they, they put a lot of money into the hood for all of the stuff that we do point out as far as like when we talk about the Barclays Center and all of that. They put mm-hmm. a lot of money back into the hood, too, like a lot. So, you you know, yeah, it's going to always be somebody that can condemn them as well as me, as well as everybody else. I mean, 
My you thing know, is just once you know that a person allows themselves to be used as a as a racial showcase because that's what that's what the the little documentary comparing him to the Congo comes from is that Jay-Z is the front man for these things that are fully funded by white people. Like he has very little involvement in from a financial standpoint, but he's the poster child for it because it's disarming the black people. Like they, they were successfully able to disarm um, Fort Greene and Park Slope Brooklyn residents in order to have the Barclays Center built when people were severely protesting against it for the, some of the very reasons that it exists today. It's become a nightmare as far as traffic and a whole bunch of other things. So they, were, they put him as the front person, even though he owned less than half of 1% of any of the stock in it. But he was the front person put up there because people like, yo, black people like, yo, that's that's a golden boy. He's from Brooklyn. He's one of us. And he, and he, he the quote-unquote owner of the Barclays Center. Oh, hell yeah, put it up. We don't care as long as it's him. He's black. You have him put it up. Yo, that and was the later exact on, argument. They found out the truth. Say that was the exact argument right there. Uh, he one yeah, of us. So, so, I mean, we you, don't care. Exactly. The thing is, once you know that a person is willing to to have, allow themselves to be used in that manner by white people for whatever agenda they have, regardless of what he, money he's getting on the side or doing, you know, however he's making his money, the idea is once you know that that's there, then there should be no judgment on this character. I think his whole career kind of shows that that's been a pattern of his. And it's funny because Dame Dash talked about that in a recent interview, he, he, part of it, they titled it, you know, and it was a quote from, yeah, King I, I, that says, I, I, I know, you know, I people already it. know Jay-Z ain't ish. And I was just like, you know, he's basically said what I was saying, but in a more disrespectful anti-black way. And I'm not, like I said, it's no judgment on Jay-Z. Every, everybody has their means to an end and some pe- everybody has the response to the system of white supremacy. This is Jay-Z's response. So you can either learn from it and say, I want to be like that. Or you can learn from it and say, you know what? I like what he's doing as a black male. You know, I may not like the way he's getting what he's getting in certain aspects, but regardless of that, the bottom line is he's a black man trying to do positive things in whatever way he sees fit. Now I need to do things in the way that I see fit using myself and my resources. And that's what it should be. It should be a driver for if he's not doing things the way that you think he should do it, then you do it the way you should do it and show, show other people the way it should be done. Don't judge him. Don't badmouth him. It's what it is. It ain't going to change the fact that he get in that bag. Nothing you say is going to make him lose sleep. He's going to continue to do the things he's doing, whether you exist or not, because for us, the average person, we ain't, we don't exist in this world. He don't know who the heck we are. So real talk, just do you hey. and do it to the best of your ability, to the maximum if you're about your people, and you do it the way that you see fit. And then what you can do is just use his, his life because it's a public life. Now, mind you, when you decide to be a public person, then – you know, all privacy is out the window because you 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 are rapping. You're putting yourself out there, so people are going to judge you harsh more harshly than they do other people. Because in a lot of circles, you you are representing those people as a black man. You're representing black men. You're representing black people to some degree because of you know your notoriety and your status and your visibility. So you know that 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 comes that's a that's a certain there's a certain responsibility that comes with that. But the truth is, like we we need to pay attention to what's going on in our kitchen, what's going on in our bathroom, well, what's going on in our exactly, house. <laughs> that's exactly what I was saying, uh, Roz, when I was saying you know mm-hmm. just just see what he's doing, and just let it yeah. go and move on for what you're doing. You know, like you stated, yeah. uh, whatever it is that you're doing, do it to the best of your ability. You know, if it's nothing exactly. but pouring all of the information that you're learning 
and uh, correct them the mistakes that you did in the past within your children or somebody else's child, nephew, neighbor, cousin, uh, you know, especially, you know, yeah. just the children in general. So that's that's perfect. Uh, and we ain't going to even take no break or nothing because with the technical difficulties. Let it be a motivator. Let Let his life be a motivator. See where he came from, see where he made it to, and let it be a motivator that if he could do it, then I could do it too. And there's many other people that you can look at in that way. And I think because of the social media, the mental illness that social media has in people and creates in people, I think that we, we like to live vicariously. Like, remember, this is the first time in human history where people are able to make full careers off of Yo. taking pictures, following, and studying the lives of other people. It's, the, tr- it's the Truman Show, but for everybody. Exactly, exactly. And my thing is, like, we get too invested in that, and there's so many bigger fish to fry, like, you know, ending the prison industrial complex, ending system, the system of white supremacy, stopping the fires in Africa, which are worse and more numerous than the one, ones going on in the Amazon. Was, and yeah. remember, the other lungs of the planet is the Congo, and the Congo's on fire, too, and nobody's talking about that. At the same Angola, time. Zambia, there's, there's about five different countries right now in Africa that have rainforests that are on fire right now, and nobody's saying a damn thing about it. And that's because a lot of these people are, are burning these places down to make it easier to access the resources in the soil, i.e. the, the coltan and um, and 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 the the gold and all the other minerals and trace minerals that they use to create computers. Yeah, and, and yeah. Don't don't call them out. <laughs> yeah. So you know the real the real thing about it is this: we've become too invested in that, and we think that information that surrounds celebrities is important information and it really isn't what's really important is what's happening in the world and the things that we can do you know in our everyday lives to try and make the world a little bit better (laughs) you know what i'm saying if there's enough of us doing something even if it's not something big then it's going to have a cumulative effect over time if we're consistent with what we're doing and a lot of times we spend time just worrying about things that make no sense to even worry about and, and we we spend time arguing with each other and blaming each other for things, and it's it's completely just <laughs> it's incorrect. It's just completely incorrect, and it's not going to solve anything. The idea is that if you really want to change anything, change yourself, and then what you do through, through changing yourself is you pass those changes on to to your offspring, so that they don't make the same mistakes you did. And right there, you're changing an entire generation, one branch of the family tree. And then they can in turn change themselves and pass pass out, pass on what you gave them, what they've learned themselves, and then they pass all of that cumulative information on to their offspring and so on and so forth. But instead of us thinking like that, we just think about right now, we think about, you know, posting every second of our lives on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever whatever floats your boat. There's just too many things out there and what we don't realize is those things are the new drugs. You're addicted to it. It creates um, problems with, with severe narcissism. Um, it also, I think, dampens the intelligence of, of, of human beings. The reason why I say that is because never in human history have people committed crimes and then recorded themselves committing crimes and make those things public. Never. So people are literally becoming stupid. They're becoming less intelligent by using these mediums. They think things are so sweet that they can, you know, have a shootout and film the shootout and post it or murder somebody on camera and post it and they're going to get away with it. Like, what's wrong with people? 
you shouldn't be doing those things in the first place. But the idea is that the whole reason of committing a crime is its clandestine nature. Nobody's supposed to know you committed the crime. But because social media has created a, a, a psychology where if you don't post it online, it doesn't exist, then people are going to say, I committed the crime. Not only did I commit the crime, but here's the proof. So you can't say I really didn't do it. Not realizing that the whole alphabet boy train is on all of those social media sites waiting for an idiot like you. And it, it happens all the time. So you can't, you, you can't deny that the intelligence of humanity is, is becoming less through, through these mediums of social media. They already said our attention span is shorter than that of a goldfish. They said the human attention span, short attention span, used to be 12 seconds. Now it's, I think the goldfish was eight, and I think now people are at like six. Come on. They tell you that technology is supposed to make life easy. But it doesn't, because if something makes life easy, it's a companion to the, to the entity that's utilizing it. What it is doing is it is regressing us, and it is atrophying parts of the brain that we used to use to think and deduce things for ourselves. That's why they have self-driving cars. Think there's going to be a time when your child's going to be 16, and they're not going to want to get a license because this car drives itself. Think that you go to McDonald's if you eat that, you go to Popeye's or Chick-fil-A if you eat that, and you give somebody money and the cash register stops working and they start counting on their fingers. Think you're driving through your own neighborhood. You may be a, maybe a, a 10 block radius away from your own house. And you, you might just try and experiment. You drop your child off, your child's like 13, 14, and you take away their cell phone and say, find your way home. And you come back to that corner maybe 30 minutes later, and they're right there because they don't know how to get home. They don't know landmarks. They don't know, they don't know avenues and intersections. It's making you slow. Do you know that there was a hospital after there was a giant, there was a giant breach, I believe it was last year, um, I think the hospital was either in in the Midwest or on the West Coast. It might have been Nevada, could be incorrect, but I know it was a big hospital. You can look it up on um, on Google. Just Google uh, hospital goes back to paper records because what they did was they had gotten hacked. I think it was like some sort of ransomware attack where they were like, you're not going to have access to your patient's records until you give us X number of Bitcoin. And what they did was they just pulled out the paper records. They were like, we're not doing this computer stuff no more. Because if it's this easy for them to breach HIPAA and, and break into people's records like this, and not only that, but stop us as the medical staff from accessing those records, and this, these could be life or death medical situations, we need to not even use that. That's not helping us. That's not technology. And technology is really take knowledge. Because that's what it's doing. It's taking your knowledge. Your ability to start a fire is atrophied as far as taking a stone and a couple pieces of wood and some, and some tinder to create a fire, you can't do that because a lighter was created. So technology takes your knowledge from you. It is a vampiric force. If it was helpful, then it would enhance your knowledge. 
and it would not atrophy and end your ability to do certain things or, or thinking for yourself or being able to do certain things for yourself on a base level. That's why when this economy collapses, there's going to be a lot of people dying because people don't know how to live off the land. Our ancestors lived off the land. They would plant certain things. They would plant enough for their families for a year or for, excuse me, for, the, for the season. And then after that, the surplus they would sell to get, you know, actually money so that they could buy tools and other things they might need or repair certain things around the house or repair certain farm, farm machines and things like that that they needed. But the bottom line is they knew how to live off the land. The only black people that know, know how to live off the land, most of, most of them are reside down south. And it's a family tradition that they've maintained. But the overwhelming majority of black people don't know nothing about that, period. We know how to shoot each other, but we don't know how to go out and hunt for food if we had to. Forget them. So understand that when you deal with these different forms of so-called technology, they're addictive because they are the new drug. It's a drug with zeros and ones instead of an actual substance you put into your body. And then you have to understand, too, that when there's something else that does something for you, because you have to remember that the term robot, if you look up the etymology of the term robot, it is directly related to being a slave. So that calculator is your slave. It does the thinking for you so you don't think for your damn self. That GPS system is a slave. It thinks for you regarding location, maps, um, 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 landmarks, and how to navigate so you don't have to do so. A self-driving car drives for you. So you have, you have no concept of how to turn the key in the ignition, how to put your foot on the brake to make sure the car don't roll away when you take it out of park. You don't know how to do none of that no more because the car does it for you. You got a room bot. Who knows how to sweep or properly vacuum when you got a room bot that does everything. All you got to do is just move stuff out of its way. That's going to be an obstacle to it reaching a certain space on the floor and it'll just run through the floor on its own and clean everything for you. You're becoming mentally and physically handicapped via these things that are taking your knowledge. And then they call it technology and say it's an improvement when it really isn't. It is a means of getting you to actively participate in the atrophy of your mind and the dumbing down of oneself. That's facts. And those are just a few examples that I gave, but they're actually, there's no arguing with that. Your ability to do the simplest of things have been taken from you by the things that do it for you. And what, is it when someone else does something for someone else for free? It is a slave. Your GPS don't charge you every time it tells you how to get somewhere. The room bot doesn't charge you every time it goes through your house and then vacuums everything up for you. Your car doesn't charge you if it's a self-driving car and is able to take you from point A to point B for free. So it's a slave to you. And what they're trying to do now is get, can get you to connect to your slave via the matrix style, plugging stuff into your brain and things like that so you could just think it and the slave will do it for you. But what does that mean for your body? Are you getting exercise? 
Are you able to do just basic things for yourself? Can you wipe your ass? Excuse my French. Because they're going to get a robot to do that too. The first step towards that was the bidet. The bidet, of course, we know <laughs> is, is something that has been used since ancient times. But the bottom line is you're not going to know how to do anything for yourself because they're taking it all away from you. Then they're going to collapse the economy and tell you, you know what? There is no no truck, no um, no God system, guaranteed on-time delivery truck to drop off food at the grocery store. So now you got to go fend for yourself. You know what that's like doing? That's like taking a lion who's been living in a zoo from birth. He was born in a zoo. He's, uh, you know, because lions born in a zoo can live up to like 20-something years, I believe, whereas normally a male lion might, if it's lucky, live anywhere between 8 and 14 years. Because of all the wars and the battles they have to fight, they usually don't live a full life. So it's like having a lion in the in the in the zoo for like ten years, and then all of a sudden you kick it out and you tell it go learn how to hunt now. That lion's gonna die. It's gonna try, but it's gonna die because it has no concept of honing its skills. Its parents never had to or were able to teach it how to be a real lion. So all it is is a slave a pet, a glorified pet for the zoo that owns it. And it's used to being fed on a schedule a certain amount of food. When you take that away, the lion's not going to know how to hunt for itself. It's not going to know how to crouch down and creep up on something and spring into action when it's a certain number of feet away from the prey so it can get on it within two to three leaps and then go for the throat and, 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 and take it down and, and Via its whiskers, it can sense when, when the heart stops beating because there's no pulse in the neck, so it knows that the animal's dead and then chow down. has no concept of that, and you send it out into the world. That's what's happening to us. When this economy collapses, you're going to see people who don't know how to do anything, and those are the ones who are going to want to take from you. They're going to be like, yo, that food smells good. It smells better than Popeye's chicken. Yo, let's run up in there and get that. That's what it is. You're going to be walking out of Walmart, and they're going to get, going to get you right in the parking lot. You can run them bags right now if you're trying to make it home. And sometimes they don't even say nothing. They just shoot you and take it. <laughs> like there, there will be no warning, just just a bullet to the head, headshot, take the bags and go. It's real serious. So understand that technology is taking your knowledge. It's sapping your humanity. That's why there's a crisis of young people who don't know anything about empathy. They can be cruel. They can say the most heinous things to each other, enough, enough to make other young people commit suicide and have no concept of when another human being is hurting and, and how to, to empathize and, and actually put themselves in the shoes of another person and say, you know what, you know, I can't do that to that person because I know that it makes when I put myself in their shoes, it makes me feel a certain way. And I know that that must be how they feel, if not worse, because they're the one that it's actually happening to. They have no concept of that. They don't know how to dress for an interview. They go in and they write in text form. They write R-O-F-L on a job application because they don't know better. They don't know how to look an interviewer in the eye. They don't know how to tie a tie, button a shirt, wear some slacks. <laughs> like real talk. These are things you learned as a young person. That's something my, my mom, I came from a single parent home. My mom taught me how to tie a tie. Something that never left me. I taught my son how to tie a tie. But my mother was the one who taught me how to tie a tie. 
she's the one who taught me about sitting with my spine straight and not to slouch when I'm in a chair, and especially if I'm speaking to someone that, I, that I'm suppo- supposed to treat with some level of dignity and respect. You make sure your spine is straight. You make sure you look them in the eye. You make sure you give them a firm handshake. These brothers shaking your hand and their hand feel like cotton. Everything, it just collapses under your grip. Like, what kind of crap is that? That is that, it's funny. A handshake is, a, is something that white people originated. And it was something that was meant to convey your power as a male. When you shake someone's hand, it's a firm handshake. You look them in the eye. It's an act of dominance over another person. Anytime you see presidents of the United States go to other countries and deal with other leaders, they always show you the body language. Look at how the president touches the elbow of the other person. It's an act of dominance. When they pat the person on the shoulder, that's an act of dominance. See, understanding body language, simple things like that. You can you can inculcate and not inculcate, but you can understand what a person is thinking based on simple things like that. How they shake your hand, whether they whether they touch your shoulder or pat you on the shoulder, all of that can be patronizing. But if you don't know body language, you'll just accept the skin and grin and keep moving like nothing happened. But see, these are the things that we need to know that we don't know. We prefer to under, rag Jay Z. For his deal with that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's crazy to me. Like black people, where are your priorities? Like where are our priorities collectively? Like I said, if if you're gonna discuss it, discuss him. Use it as a tool of learning, and that's about it. Don't use it to express your opinions about him personally, because there's always somebody out there that got similar opinions about you if they're negative. Man. None of us are perfect. So the idea is that there's somebody out there that's going to have something to say that's untoward and unbecoming towards you. And it could be something you did in the past that you no longer indulge in, but back when you indulged in it, it traumatized that person. So they never forgot it and they hate you for it. (laughs) And you'll never live it down. No matter how many years pass, they'll always go back to that moment where you did that to them and you hurt them and and the trauma that came with it. And they're, they're pretty much, your life means nothing to them. So, I mean, like, we all have that. At some, somewhere in our lives, we all have it. So the idea is this. You know, always use someone else's life if you're looking at another person's life as a learning tool for yourself on how to avoid pitfalls or how to improve yourself, not as a tool of judgment. Because we all got judges. We all do. <laughs> That's why they got that simple saying, why are you pointing one finger at somebody else three more pointing back at you? Because it's really true. None of us live a a flawless life. So as a result, we have to live with our mistakes, live with our flaws, live with our character traits that are unbecoming. If you have them, you just have to. Because otherwise, you just spend your life beating yourself up and and kicking your own self in the the backside. And everything you do will be a failure because that's all your psychological, mental, and spiritual energy is going towards is negativity about yourself. So you have to shed that and seek to what, what uh, we, we call the striving for perfection, which is the same thing as still learning. Striving for perfection. Striving means seeking to attain, knowing that perfection is pretty much unattainable unless it's momentary, depending on the field you're in. Michael Jordan attains perfection in certain moves that he does on the basketball court but he's not perfect. So you're striving for perfection. 
still learning. I may know this, but to me, what I know is nothing because there's so much more for me to learn. So I'm still learning. I'm striving to be the best me I can be, but knowing that I'm not there. So I'm striving for perfection. Yo, you, <laughs> you just killed that, man. I, you went into so many different aspects of why I even brought that up. I'm glad say, you did. <laughs> uh, because I, I was I going before, uh, before you had got too deep and, you know, I had cut in, I had brought uh-huh. that up because I was like, what I initially was going to uh, get into was taking these particular incidents that they're, uh, that they're trying to distract us with. Right. Mm-hmm. And use that to our advantage that there are always uh, attention grabbers, whether it's, fatal or it's just a uh, satire it's always attention grabbers we have to learn uh how to benefit off of those attention grabbers we know that they're always coming we have to start capitalizing off of that instead of always being being what's being capitalized you, you know what i'm saying but being capitalized off of because <laughs> they capitalize off of us so right. we're, the, we're the victims of being capitalized off of. And what we don't understand, especially because of this attention economy, is that the longer you can hold people's attention, the more money you can generate. So the idea is that if black people can be cultivated to point their attention towards meaningful things that, that are, you know, are self-betterment sort of uh, things, then collectively a lot more people can change for the better. But if your interest is world star hip hop or your interest is, you know, loving hip hop or your interest is just nonsense that really doesn't have any value for you, it's just something that's quote unquote entertaining, then understand that that's a waste of your life force. Because that's time you're never going to get back. And all you did was put it, put that time into paying attention to something that really wasn't worthwhile paying attention to. And the people who you were paying attention to were the ones making all of the money. You were just sitting there being entertained. That's why when they talk about the collapse of Rome and they say that the United States mirrors the collapse of Rome, they have a phrase called bread and circus. Bread and circus means you give people a reward, bread, and you distract their attention with circus. So it's a sleight of hand. And if you look at the Jay-Z situation, you look at a lot of the things that are put on the news, a lot of the rehashes of, of traumatic things like um, Eric Garner's killer walking. Then all of a sudden he got fired. Now he has like a GoFundMe that I think is blowing up. I, don't, I didn't get to read the details. But I came across the captions. So yeah, I think he already got what uh, Scotty was reaching for. He, he didn't pass that already. Look at that and, and see that th- while we're distracted with that, they're making the most oppressive laws that are going to affect us. And see, there's something else I wanted to talk about, too, dealing with immigration. Because I've been hearing a lot of, a lot of uh, black people, especially like um, a lot of the hashtag ADOS people online. Uh, and it's not all of them that do this, but there's a, a heavy group of them that do. 
they always say they don't care about these immigrants. They come in here, they're killing people. They talk about the West Coast with the Mexican gangs killing black people and ethnically cleansing them out of certain parts of the, the city and things like that, which is it, is it is happening. But they're taking this small group of people and applying their logic to all of these people. And the thing about it is this. Black people always remember that what they are doing to other non-black, non-white people, when they perfect it on them, you're the ultimate goal. So if you're not crying foul for those people who came from someplace else that the U.S. itself destabilized, this is another thing they say, why is it they come here to try and make their money when they could have built up the countries they came from? Why didn't they do anything to build up the countries they came from before they got here? And that is the most ignorant nonsense I've ever heard, because the idea is this. If your country was in a state that was stable, positive, you were able to make uh, a living wage for yourself and your family, there would be no reason for you to pick up and go someplace else. What drives people to leave where they're from is either um, economic and or political instability, um, systemic criminality from the president or the head of the country down to the, the local police departments, um, U.S. intervention in the form of sanctions and things like that against these smaller nations that end up crippling them financially so that people have no real, real means of making a living wage. So they end up migrating to the very places that are making their place where they come from a horrible place to live. And see, there's a, there's a certain... There's a certain level of, I would say, self-centered anti-blackness that, that I'm seeing because the idea is that F those people pretty much, we don't really care about them because nobody gave a crap about us. I'm hearing some of them say that sort of stuff too. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You, don't you remember Katrina a couple years ago when they were just separating families and throwing people all over the United States, some of them going into the whitest, most... Uh, non-ethnically diverse areas of the country, even though they told the officials they had relatives in a certain part of the country, they prefer to go to those places. They just sent them wherever the heck they felt like it. Just like they used to do our ancestors when they would rip a child from his mother or from his father and, and send them to one part of the country and send the parent to another part of the country and they would live out the rest of their lives never knowing what happened to their relatives. It happened in Katrina. Now it's happened to people on the border, and you don't care about the people on the border when it was just done to your people, and I think it was 2009 with Katrina. Short memories, man. So if there's, yeah, and the thing is, you know, there was a Jewish saying, and I'm going to paraphrase it. You know, when they came to get this group of people, I didn't say nothing because it wasn't me. When they came to get this group of people, I didn't say nothing because it ain't have nothing to do with me. Finally, they came to get me, and there was nobody to, to speak and raise a voice about what was being done to me. Because understand, when Martin Luther King said that an injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere, that's what it means. It means if you can tolerate injustice just because it's happening to another group of people, that means in your mind there's room in the world for this sort of treatment to fester. So don't think that because it's affecting them today that it can't and will not be affecting you tomorrow. Because remember, injustice spreads like cancer. That's what makes evil so powerful. People don't understand that in a lot of ways, evil is more powerful than good. 
I learned that in initiation too. The reason why is because it's so easy. It is so easy for evil to spread, and it's a lot harder for good to spread because good ain't popular. It's a fact. If you make up a negative rumor about someone and it's sensational, that can spread over the Internet and reach millions of people in less than 24 hours. But if you say something positive, something good was done in the world, it would be very slow to catch on. We've all seen it. It's always easier to make up an excuse as to why you hate another people or another person or anything else. It's a lot harder to say good things about a person, even if you don't like the person. But if you don't like the person and you're able to still say good things about them, that's when you know that you're a person who's balanced. Because it's not about you liking them or not. It's about the honesty and truth of who they are, flaws or the things you don't like about them included. If a person is at their core a good person, regardless of the mistakes they made or the way that they may have personally hurt you, and you're able to tap into that, and that means that you are a person who is on a higher level in regards to your character. Because the average person only looks at things from their own personal narcissistic lens. I don't like that SOB because they did so-and-so to me back in the days, and I never got over it. So as a result, everything about them is screwed up. I have nothing good to say about them. Not only them, but screw their family too. But if you could look at a person who was wronged you or that you didn't like, but you know, not, not something you're guessing, but you know that they have good things in their character, good things they've done for other people. They may not have done them for you, but they did them for other people. And you're able to acknowledge and respect that. That says a lot about your ability to see people in a clear light, not a tainted lens of your disgruntledness with them and your relationship with that person. Because remember, hate is not the opposite of love. In order to hate someone, you have to have an attachment to them emotionally. And usually it's one of love. Mm -hmm. Indifference is the opposite of love. Because an indifferent person doesn't give two hecks whether you live or die. You don't exist in their world. Careless. And that's, that's the type of stuff that I'm on. When I don't mess with somebody, I'm indifferent to them. They don't exist to me. And it usually messes with their minds the way I disappear out of their life. It's like I never was there before. That's how I deal with things. And I can I can say sometimes it may not be healthy depending on the situation, you know, but for me it works because <laughs> I live a stress-free life when it comes to negative relationships because I just, when I cut ties, I cut ties completely. There is no going back down the same yellow brick road with anybody who I'm done with. Once I'm done with you, that's it. And usually I give people forewarning, so it's not like it's something that comes out of left field. I let people know who I am off the rip and how things go if if we get to a place and space in our relationship where things are out of balance and I feel like I'm not being treated properly or treated with the proper respect for the quality of the relationship that we sought to build together. 
So it's not something that's, that's surprising. I tell folks, they just don't tend to believe me until they continue to do this stuff. And I say, you know what? I can't, I can't do this no more. And once I, once I get there, it's a wrap. My family can tell you. I have a history that's legendary with that. I just straight several all times and people be like, yo, damn. <laughs> it's, it's crickets. You can call me 30 times. I will never answer your call. I will never answer your text. You don't exist to me. That's it. And then the people who I've forgiven, I always say forgiveness is 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 something that depends on the on the importance of the relationship to you personally. If that person and your relationship with that person is important enough and the person wronged you, then it's up to you to decide whether you forgive. I'm not a forgiving person, but I'm not gonna sit here angry at you for the rest of my life either. I'll just become indifferent. That's my answer. You don't exist anymore. And that's it. But I'm not going to sit here brooding over you and what you did. Mm, got no time for that. If that's the case, I'm just I'm just going to see you. And I'll, you know, take out whatever I got to take out on you physically, get that off my chest, and then I'm indifferent. If I, if I feel that way. I haven't felt that way in years about anybody. But I'm just saying, if, you got, if you're occupying that kind of rental space in my mind, then I've got to handle you there to get you out. So indifference removes that possibility. There's no need for me to even think about you. You're done. You don't exist. That's it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it makes life easy. Yeah, in regards to relationships that aren't productive, constructive, or palatable. And that's even with family. Same rules apply. That's just how it is. And my family, uh, I come from a family that's pretty much like that. They can be indifferent to people, even people who they're supposed to love. And like I said, it's not always positive, depending on how it's applied, who it's applied to in the circumstances, but I've learned to fine tune it so I don't misuse it on, on people because I love people. That's why I do, do this radio program. I love my people. So that's not the case. It's just that I have no tolerance for, for, for you know, negativity. I just don't. I wasted too many years of my life in a negative state of mind and doing negative things in the world because of the negative things that I felt and then things that I went through. And I wanted some people to feel the way I felt. So I made them feel how I felt. The hate you give. It's real talk. I'm just, I'm being honest. You know, I'm, I, I've wasted enough of my life on that. It's about elevation. And it's about, you know, mutual respect and building something constru of constructive value that's lasting. So when I close my eyes, people can go back over my body of work and say, wow, this brother really, you know, he he did what he said, and he you know he really felt these things. You can see from his collective body of work that he was really about something. That's what I want. I don't want people to have negative things to say about me, but I know there's going to be some, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but what I what they what I eat don't make them shit, or vice versa. Excuse my French. So I could care less what people think about me. Got time for that? What I do have time for. It's trying to better myself and better the world around me and better the people that are close to me as be or help them as best I can better themselves. That's what it's about. To me, if it ain't about that, it ain't about nothing. So if you really, really are upset about something that is missing in the world or something that you see that's incorrect, then do your best to change it for yourself. And if everybody did that, then there will be a collective change eventually. Because all it takes is little changes to make a big change. When you saw the, um, the, the football team
team in Mississippi. They wanted that president out. They 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 boycotted playing the game. We're not playing. And when they lost all that money in, in a couple of weeks, it ain't take that long for them to oust his white behind. <laughs> and they were like, okay, we, we'll play now. My thing is, why don't we apply that to everything? Why don't we apply that to everything? All these rappers that put out all this hateful, murderous music cease to buy their stuff, become indifferent to their crap. Cease to listen to those radio stations and let them lose a couple billion billion dollars. And I guarantee you they'll play something else. They'll play whatever you demand them to play. But because we go along for the get-along, we continue to deal with the same problems. And then what they do is they create the smokescreen situation where the immigrants are the problem, the black immigrants are the problem. You know, somebody else is the problem. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, is a way of, you know, deflecting self-responsibility on things. Martin Luther King gave us that answer a long time ago, boycott, and you can shut down everything and get white people to come to heal and to listen to what you say and do something about what you want done. And you hit them in the pocket. Because with them, it's, it's 50-50. Hit them in the pocket or take their lives. And we ain't trying to get into no protracted war situation with these people because they're killers. That's how we got here. Hey, That's can how you, we got uh, up in the project. Can you repeat that last part one more time? Oh, I was just saying we don't want to get into no protracted, you know, war with these people because they're killers. We not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. We are not. If we were ready, it's different. Dr. Clark said it, and I agree emphatically. The black man, when properly equipped and properly armed, is the deadliest fighting force on the planet. That is a fact. That is a historical fact. When black people set their minds to handling business and taking care on some war stuff, we are we are the nuclear war. But hold on, though. hold on, before you continue that. Mm-hmm. Agreed, but there are people that will go back into history and conflate what they found as if we are still in that particular. Uh, we're in that stance right now, and that is not oh, true. No. So we, we have to recognize uh, when we're talking about uh, destinations versus actions. You know, mm-hmm. just it's, have to be clear on that. What you said. No, you're absolutely correct because the whole idea is that we're in a state of disarray. We're having our knowledge taken from us every day. And we don't care. A lot of us don't care. As long as we get our dose of love and hip-hop and Real Housewives or whatever state you in or it's what city, we don't care. As long as somebody could do the cucumber challenge and, and pop their coochie to the hottest rap song that's calling them out their name, then we're cool with all of that. And while we're doing that, white people doing pinky in the brain. Hey, brain, what are you going to do tomorrow night? Well, we do every day, pinky. Try to take over the world. These people really about that life. It's not even funny. Michael Michael Bradley, the writer of the Iceman Inheritance, a book that every black person should read if they want to understand the origin of white psychopathology. He said this on the cows before he practiced racism on Gus and eventually hung up on him after I think he cursed him out too. 
He said, if white people cannot dominate and rule the planet, they are completely willing and able to destroy the planet itself and every living thing in it. And if you see that their numbers are dwindling as they are, aren't you seeing more and more like insane psychosis behaviors being exhibited by them from individuals who are getting caught before mass shootings, individuals who are committing mass shootings, to Donald Trump and his psychopathic conversation about nuclear, throwing a nuclear warhead at a hurricane to, to dissipate the hurricane. Aren't you seeing a connection there? They are dying at record numbers, and their behaviors of desperation are becoming more and more intense and more and more outlandish. I mean, and, at, and also, you're wanna, seeing that non white those... people are starting. Go ahead. I just wanted to add those. Uh, those are two big points because you, I felt like you had had like a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you was pouring out. So I just wanted to sit back and be quiet. But I, every now and again, I was just adding. And that's another one that I wanted to add on. The lungs, the lungs of the planet, which is on fire. And this man, we already have radiation on one side of the ocean. Mm. And he want to deliver some more radiation to the other side. I mean, I, okay. I, I don't know if everyone is actually aware. Like, I know right. people are seeing this on the news and, oh, man, he doing this stupid stuff. Oh, man, did you know that was burning up over there? But are you actually understanding the gravity of everything? You have what creates our oxygen on fire in the oceans of the entire planet. Both both oceans have uh, will have nuclear radiation in them. Let me let me chime in real quick because I saw this video yesterday or the day before. I think it was yesterday on what would happen if the Amazon disappeared? And this was done actually over a year ago. And I'm like, wow, a year later it's on fire. And they're saying that when it reaches its final tipping point, where there's no turning back, it's going to turn into a, they said it's going to turn into a savanna, like Africa, like the savannas of Africa, where it's very dry. All of the moisture in the water that it used to produce is all going to disappear. And it was interesting because they, the video said, if all of these things were to happen, it would create a larger carbon footprint, which will create more global warming, which would also put more more carbon dioxide into the world's oceans, and that will make the world's oceans more acidic. So imagine after the Amazon burns up, you not even even being able to go to the beach and jump into the water because it's so acid, it'll eat your skin off. Hmm. 20% of the world's oxygen is created in the Amazon. That's why it's called the lungs of the earth. One of the lungs of the earth. The other one, the other major one is in the Congo, but there's a couple of others around the planet where heavy, heavy percentages of the world's oxygen is created. So if the Amazon disappears, we will eventually have less actual air to breathe as a species. Mm -hmm. And people don't care. That's the biggest part about it is people don't care. I saw a short video of the some of the indigenous groups in the Amazon who were trying to fight the wildfires and they were just talking about like they're gonna give everything down to their last breath 
to save their home. You have over half a million different Amazon Amazon tribes that are affected by all of this. And nobody cares. Why? Because it's not happening on your block. Right. And screw them, they immigrants. Because what's going to happen is eventually they're going to end up having to relocate. If, if everything really, really gets bad, and I hope it doesn't, that's what's going to happen. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, for some of these people, these black people and the hashtag ADOS crowd that are negative about immigrants, you don't know history. You just, you're taking the talking points, the same talking points that white people used against black people during the Great Migration, which made northern white people riot and lynch black people in major cities like Los Angeles, New York, Detroit, Chicago. Black people were being lynched just for leaving the South to escape the Ku Klux Klan and to try and find what they would think would be a stable job working at a factory or something where they could work there for 40, 50 years, retire, and, and be able to send their children to college and have a house with a car and all of that stuff. These white people were being told that these immigrants were the problem. And as a result, um, they started rioting in the streets and, and killing these, these black people. It's the same logic that, that black people are now using against other immigrants, and especially black immigrants. And there's a lot of misinformation being propagated about black immigrants now. It's terrible. Like the, the dissension. It's dangerous. It's, it's just, it's, yeah, it's really not good. And the thing is, like, black immigrants make up such a small number of immigrants because we're the most scrutinized. We're the least desirable immigrants that America has. So they, they allow less of us than any other group, <laughs> straight up and down. And when they're starting to deport people, the first people they deport are black immigrants. That's facts. But yet, you know, so, some people here have this vehement, um, dislike and, and xenophobic attitude towards these immigrants who have done nothing to them. And then they put out a bunch of false statistics about, you know, black immigrants being accessing all of this welfare and things like that. And that's not true. The average poor black immigrant is trying to find a decent gig, excuse me, and pretty much stay out from underneath the radar and, and try to save as much money as possible, usually to send home to their relatives who are way more poor than they are here. And how do I know it? Because that's what my mother used to do. My mother would save thousands of dollars to buy campers and onesies and, you know, wet wipes and clothes and shoes for people back home. And she would send home a barrel, giant barrel full of stuff with names of what belongs to who. And everybody would get what's distributed to them based on what she was able to buy for them. This was something my parents used to do all the time. So I know what it is. And it takes time for them to even get to that point. And usually they're broke, working two jobs, sometimes three, in order to be able to make the extra money just to send stuff home because it's, it's so expensive just to live here by itself. And most of your relatives don't understand. They think when you live in America, you're rich. That they automatically think, America, you got money. So when my relatives come to visit from the islands and they finally see what it takes to maintain an apartment or maintain a house, then it's like, oh, I had no idea. And then the other part is, at least in the islands, you could run out and, and, and climb a mango tree and get a mango or some other fruit or something like that in your natural environment. You don't have that in the concrete jungle. You eating out the garbage can if you ain't eating. 
So they have no concept of like, oh, it's a lot tougher up here than I thought. It's not what I thought it was. This isn't the land of milk. No, it isn't. It's not milk and honey here at all. It's racism, dodging death and mistreatment, and trying to stack as best you can. And, 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 and if you can, if you come from another place, you're trying to send something back home to help the people who need a little hand up because, you know, the situation is dire back home, which is what drove you to come to the States in the first place. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It really, really is. And I have nothing but the, the utmost respect for um, the work that foundational black Americans have put in because without the work they put in, it wouldn't be possible for myself or my family to be here. So that is not it. You know, I just think that there's a lot of misinformation and confusion that is creating dissension and all of these different groups that are anti-black in some form or fashion are just buffers for the system of white supremacy and the self-imposed buffers. Like they're just willing to be active participants and anti-blackness that serves nobody else but the colonizer. But in their minds, they think it's self-serving because, like I said, the colonizer used the same tactics they use on white people against... Um, Lovely Lady A in the house. Good seeing you, man. Yes, sir. <laughs> they're using against immigrants, and the difference is the people who they're telling the lies to are other black people. And then when you look at a lot of the significant cultural, um, historical, uh, even revolutionaries in this country, a lot of them are immigrants. Or they come from an immigrant background. Not not all of them, because you have a lot of foundational black Americans that were, of course, a part of their own struggle here. But you can't deny the importance of black immigrants in those struggles. The first black, the first uh, known, uh, what they call African-American uh, dancer was a Trinidadian. And the whole genre was started off with the work she did. Her name is Pearl Sumpson. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. I posted something on DTR Community about her a few months back. But nobody gives her credit. <laughs> but she's the one who started it all. It wasn't the Foundation of Black American that did that. It was a, a Trinidadian female immigrant. You know, and there's a ton of immigrants that have done tons of wonderful things, and there's tons of immigrants that have done not-so-wonderful things. We all have them. But when we play in the blame game, it's ridiculous. It really is. Because you have to remember, in the atrocities that America's created, there's always been black participation. Always. When you look at Iraq, there were black soldiers out there killing Iraqi people who had nothing to do with the World Trade Center, never did anything to them in their life. But there were black soldiers there with the white soldiers and the Latino soldiers and the Asian soldiers doing the same thing. When they, when they took out Maurice Bishop, when they invaded Grenada, there were black military people involved in that. Just a couple years ago with Nigeria, when they were stealing oil, one of the four black, only four military men killed in Nigeria was a black military soldier from Africa. So they're, they're Buffalo soldiers. <laughs> I mean, there's... There, there are foundational blacks involved in every atrocity because black people have fought in every war that the America that America has fought as a country. When Bin Laden was fighting against the United States after the World Trade Center and it came out that it was Al Qaeda and not Iraq, I remember he said, "We don't got a problem with y'all black Americans. Y'all been getting oppressed. Y'all been treated as subhuman. So we don't got no beef with y'all. We got beef with the white people who sending y'all to our country." 
to Afghanistan and to these places. They made that clear. But now you, you had a, you're at a place where some of them are so isolating themselves from everybody else that this, it's a similar racist agenda that psychologically that some of these black people are practicing. The difference is they're separating themselves from all other black people, which is what ADOS is about, complete separation, this is what it is. And of course we know the reason is so that they can get their reparations, but some of them are using that as a means to completely separate themselves from everybody else and say that those others are the problem. And what that says is, psychologically, you're in line with the same form of white supremacy that your colonizer is in. The difference is you're placing yourself in that position that the white man would have. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the gloves are off then, because if you're down with that, then you're just as fair game as the enemy as they are. There's no reason to have sympathy for you because you're invested in their system. But nobody's thinking on that level. The difference is they want to take the white person's boot off your neck and replace it with a black American boot and say that this is what living is supposed to be. And it really should be about equitable treatment for everyone. Because an injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. If you can accept it for one group, then it can happen to anybody. Anyone can get it. It's just what's the climate and the circumstances around the climate that creates it, creates the situation that allows it to happen to you. But that means anyone can get it. So that's the reason why when you see this, these, these babies in cages like animals, like they used to do to our black children when they would send us to these human zoos, it was black children in cages. When they made black children alligator bait in Florida, some of those black babies were in cages. But you don't see the correlation between gator bait babies in cages and uh, Guatemalans on the, on the, on the, on the, or, or even African immigrants because there are a bunch of them down, down at the border too. You don't see a correlation there. When they separating children and they ending up as sex slaves and they used to separate children during slavery from their parents, they separated children from their parents during Katrina, you don't see a correlation there? You don't care? It's not a problem because they're immigrants and, you know, whatever, whatever lies you've been told by the media, you just take it and run with it and you just hate them because they're immigrants? Now, mind you, when you're dealing with Mexico, Mexico's coming back to their ancestral homeland. The entire West Coast was Mexico, dude. How are they aliens in their own place? They happen to lose it, but it still doesn't mean that it's not a part of their heritage. And they have no no lesser right to lament its loss as Native Americans have to lament the loss of the places that were taken from them. Well, they took some so money just, for it's just it a too, shift but... in perception that gives you a more holistic view and understand that whatever they have done to other people, they use them as the testing ground for perfecting what they're going to do to us Mm. because we always get the worst of it all. Once it comes down to black people is that it's worst form it's most deadly form is what, what is unleashed on black people. I like how you brought that around. Oh, thanks brother. (laughs) But I'm just saying like, we just have to think we really have to, put our minds in a more holistic Ma'ashan way of viewing things because we're really not looking at things the way they need to be looked at in order for us to really have a truthful picture of what it is and then also understand that we were the foundations of the most just societies in the world when you look at the Mayans and the Incas and all of that yeah they had great societies they did great things but these people were also savages they were known for skinning people alive 
tearing your heart out, you know, like literally tearing your heart out your chest and holding it up while it's still beating for the people to see. I mean, the stuff they were doing was crazy. Eating the heart. Yeah, eating beating. the heart raw, all of that. So, I mean, like, they was they had a lot of, uh, and they were extremely intelligent, extremely organized. They had a political system, a spiritual system, all of that. But it was also deadly. The game that they used to play, I forget what it's called, but it's almost like soccer. But they have the ring on the side of, of the temple. And you can't touch the ball with your hands. You have to only use your legs and any other part of your body. The losers were friggin' sacrificed. Mm-hmm. So imagine if the, if the the Denver Broncos played against the Chicago Bears, and then the Broncos lost, and they get sacrificed. They don't get a couple million dollars. They don't get none of that. They get sacrificed. Wouldn't that make the game even more incredible to watch? Like, yo, whoever lose this, they dead, son. <laughs> we gotta watch this. That's what would be happening. Let's think about that. Slowly getting there, man. <laughs> it, it is. It is. I mean, I'm, I, I won't be surprised if we start seeing, like, Coliseum-type things going on where they have bears wrestling, you know, some UFC fighters. Like, it's, it's coming. I'm telling you. As this country becomes more debased, you're going to see sexual deviants go to the umpteens. Right now, you have the pedophiles now trying to be added to the LGBTQ XYZ list. You know, and, of course, the, the, the LGBTQ community wants nothing to do with that. But they're trying to legally attach themselves to them. This is crazy. Hey, it goes back to that. If you go, <laughs> if you go take one, you got to take them all. Take them all, and that's what it is. It's, it's, it was a long-term conditioning towards accepting the sickest things as normal. And once you have people in that situation where they're willing to accept anything, then at that point, anything goes. The next thing is going to be people marrying their animals. They're already doing fighting for that in Germany. You had almost 200,000 Germans that are fighting for bestiality to be legal, to be able to marry a dog, to be Man, able to marry a horse. This year right, that's, in uh, the United States, it was in, and it's not even in our states. It's not even illegal mm-hmm. here in our states. Yeah, that's true. I, I know Jersey, they just made it illegal, I think, at least two or three years ago. It like, was they one made state that got illegal. it done this year, too. But yeah, like, it's, like, it's, it's a problem because animals can't talk. An animal can't say what's being done to it. What you'll see is that the animal behaves really strange when, when strangers come around. Like people think when they, when they go to a person's house and the dog is trying to hump them all the time, they think that's cute. It's because somebody's raping that dog. And the dog is doing with you what it's used to doing with whoever's raping it. Once it's normalized in the dog's mind, it's normalized. So any other human is going to be sexual game for them once one human is having sex with it. A dog is not a human. It doesn't have the reasoning capacity. So whereas, you know, an adult human will know, okay, in this environment, I got to keep myself tame because if I start touching up on these babies, they're going to know that I'm raping these children. So they're going to dumb that down when people are around and expose it when they're behind closed doors. A dog don't know that. A dog knows this is what we do all the time. So whoever comes in the door, <laughs> you yeah, fair game. I'm humping that must leg. Be, so, yeah. you know, you, must be yeah, a part like of the crazy. group. Yeah, like we really don't like we. There's just there's a lot of a lot of things I think 
the reasons for all of these distractions is because it's taking your knowledge, it's taking your reasoning skills, it's taking your deductive reasoning, it's taking away your critical thinking from you. And once that's taken from you, you're literally a retard on two legs. And and a, and, a, and it's not no disrespect to people with mental health problems. You're like a retard. Like you, there's anything will go, and will be accepted because you've been trained to accept anything. Well, hold on, that's yo. Because we got sure. a caller. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, uh, greetings, caller. I didn't even know we had any. Uh, what is your name? What is your question? Where are you calling from? Oh, my apologies. <clears throat> oh, they, they didn't unmute themselves? Yeah, I, I think they was just, because we haven't done no, uh, I, I thought we were just going to do a podcast. Or, but go ahead, because I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, okay. Oh, no problem, no problem. So, yeah, it's just about, it's really about, it's about really, really studying. And when I say studying, like people always tend to think, and it all has to do with technology, AKA technology. What it's really, a, they think when you tell people to research that they mean go on Google and put something in Google and just Google, Google, Google it to death and find a thousand articles that speak about that particular subject. And then somehow you're going to garner truth from these thousand articles. I'm talking about reading books, paper books in your hand, books maybe listening to an audiobook depending on the audiobook what it is depending on what it is but for the most part I'm talking about reading real books and and actually being able to use critical thinking while reading books so that as you're reading it you're reading it with a, a counter racist lens because you don't know the author sometimes authors will write anti-black things in very knowledgeable books don't stick yourself to one type of writer. So in other words, I read black authors, but I don't strictly read black authors because you'll find a lot of truth from white authors. You just have to sift through more of the white supremacy based on their writing style and how racist they are when they write the text. But there's information to be garnered there. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clark used to always say that you have to study your enemy just as much as you study yourself, because in studying your enemy, you get to know yourself because they tell on themselves all throughout the text. They'll tell on themselves because there's certain concepts you can't convey without telling the truth somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's why they say every good lie has a little bit of the truth in it. So if you know how to read the lies, you'll be able to garner the truth because you cannot convey certain concepts without telling the truth. That's why the Bible is so easy to discern what information was taken from what sources. There's almost word-for-word plagiarizations of Egyptian texts in the Bible because for certain concepts, you cannot sever the truth from the concept. So in not being able to sever the truth from the concept, the person will be able to see the origins of that plain as day, regardless of how many lies you write in the text. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And these are all things that come with the, the actual study, the actual research, the actual ability to discern things and critically think as you're reading, it'll bring those things home to you. So you you don't get stuck on one type of thing, but you also expand your consciousness by reading things that are that have been vetted to be um to be uh factual. Hey, if you wanna have something from a black person, 
Ain't that what they used to say? Man, I'll never forget this. When I was um, in my early 20s, my son was really, really young. There was a brother who lived not too far from us in Jersey City, and his, his apartment was robbed. And I remember he said they turned over everything in his house except for his bookshelf. He said, I swear to God, if I was smart, I would have put my money in my bookshelf because it wasn't stolen. They bypassed the, They acted like the books didn't exist. They tore the whole house up. The bookshelf, they left it alone. So even criminals don't think, let me, let me go through this bookshelf and see what's up in this mother. So if you wanted to, you know, hollow out a book and make a little gun safe, you could do that. If you wanted to hollow out a book and make a little safe to hide some extra cash, you could do that and put it right on the bookshelf. It looked like a regular book amongst other books, and the people won't even pay attention to that. You want to hide your jewelry, you make a little book safe. You buy an old book that you don't need that doesn't have any real information, and you cut out the pages, and you make, you know, you cut out page by page. You cut out a square. You cut out a square. You cut out a square. Let's, let's say it's one of those giant dictionaries. All of a sudden, you have a big hollowed-out section in the dictionary that you can use to store stuff. You put it on the bookshelf, nobody's none the wiser. You're the only person that knows that that book is not a real book. It's actually a safe. Little simple things like that, just thinking. You just think and you do things in a certain manner that nobody else does it. And what happens is it creates a culture of deep-layered understanding about the real world and how people work. You know how much I've learned just from straight body language? I've bonded so much from people in conversations just from watching how their body language changes depending on the context of the conversation and maybe what questions I ask. You can see the discomfort on them. You can tell when they're about to tell you some BS. Real talk, just paying attention to body language, paying attention to those little quirks, those little, you know, little things that people tend to do that give away certain emotions. You know, this is very, very interesting. If you make a person uncomfortable, they tend to fold their arms because it's a form of protecting yourself. It's almost like covering your, your inner organs. So you fold your arms over your chest because you're protecting your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, you know, your liver, all of those important organs by, by putting your arms, you know, over your chest. It's a psychological form of comforting yourself. It's like putting a cover on. If a person's really relaxed, their hands go at their side and they're open because they're comfortable. So it's a way of exposing their inside, saying, I'm so comfortable in this space that I trust you like that, that I don't even need to cover my chest. So I'm going to sit here with my arms on my side and just kick it with you right now because we we cool. We on that level now. Or if a person's talking to you and their eyes start to shift, you know, they eyes start, they, they, they stop focusing on you. It's not a straight eye-to-eye conversation. The eyes start to shift there might be something with that conversation and what they're saying at that particular moment that might not be true or might not be the complete truth. It might be a half truth. Little little things like that. It's just really about trying to identify. Identify, but the, the, the best part about it is I think self-analysis as the most to body language study. Because if you analyze yourself and your mannerisms and behaviors, when you're doing certain things or you're in certain predicaments that may not be comfortable to you, then it's easier to translate it to other people. But if you're not a person who is honest with the self first, 
then you can never be honest about anyone else. Well, I agree. And when I, uh, that was very vague. So, uh, my apologies on that. But when I say identify what I, to continue that, identify the problem that you're dealing with right then. Uh, I think most of us pay attention to the distractions, but we don't identify that as a distraction until it's too late. I agree with that completely. Or not necessarily what one would say too late, but when the time for us to take advantage of it has passed, that's when we realize it was a distraction. Uh, But we have come to our time. uh, And man, I could tell it was that was really on your chest, and I, I hope I didn't get it in the way too much because I felt you flowing. No, not at all. But I got <laughs> one more. All, uh, I got. I'm gonna end with this video about Russia. But before that, hit us with the prayer, man, and take us on out of here. All right, cool. Um, thanks to everyone for spending your Tuesday evening with us. Um, it was really, really a great open dialogue. Um, I appreciate everyone that's listening now and anyone, any and everyone who will be listening to the podcast at a later time. Um, thank you all for spending your Tuesday evening with us. You could have been doing something else. So, so having that time and attention and your focus for this period of time has been very gratifying. And I hope that it was um, of constructive value to anyone who is in earshot of this, whether it's now or via the podcast. We greatly appreciate you. So we're going to wind it down. I'll say the prayer. And then uh, Jenna said he wanted to play a clip, um, a news clip before we finally close out. So we'll get it started now. Uh, Creator, we ask that you help us to remain patient with other black people. I stress victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us to remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time that we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Let's replace white supremacy. Get your business insured in 10 minutes. Cancel the prison prison industrial complex as well as the uh, slavery and human trafficking complex as well. I am in the love of the all and all love is in me. I am a part of the all. And the all is And the all is one with me. I can succeed as a part of the all and fail as an individual. I can be all that I wish in the all, as long as my wish is to stay in the all. I am never alone. The all is, I am. The all can, I can. The all does, I do. Once again, thank you for spending your Tuesday evening with us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Please uh, minimize contact to minimize conflict with anyone, and especially other black people that you may not get along with. Also, please do your best to stay out of the hands of race soldiers. When you get in the car, buckle up your seatbelt. That's a basic way to keep them from pulling you over. And um, just follow the rules of the road in your area to make sure that you are in compliance so you give them no reason to pull you over. If you are pulled over for any reason and they ask to search your vehicle, do not be, uh, do not, do not relinquish your rights to protect yourself by telling them it's okay because they can plant anything in the vehicle while they're quote-unquote searching. Your thing that you should say would be, officer, I understand that you're only trying to do your job, but I do not permit a search of my property or my person without a warrant. Even if they happen to find a, a, a kilo of cocaine in your car, because you did not allow them permission into the vehicle, it, it can have the case completely thrown out. Once you allow them in your vehicle and say it's okay, then at that point, 
the gloves are off and legally you've given them that jurisdiction so they can do whatever they want if they're trying to do something to to uh, illegally plant something on you. So that's what you should say. Um, go to the a site called Flex Your Rights to learn more information about how to safely interact with law enforcement when you encounter them. With that, stay out of the hands of race soldiers. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Create a win. Peace and love. One love and good night. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good night. We appreciate all you. We're going to scratch that uh, video. I forgot it was in Russian, so you'll need to read the subtitles. <laughs> And but it's very important. The uh, the video is talking about Russia's independence from the dollar, and not based upon its dollar, but based upon the 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 very highly increasing amount of gold that they are continuously purchasing. Yeah, they got in China like two biggest gold purchases yes, in recent years. Yes. Yeah, they're yes. not playing. And with that, gold is going up now, along with the spot price of silver also. So that's why I wanted to play that, but I forgot it was in Russia, well, so my apologies. Before we get off, it's funny you said that because I just saw a video saying that um, recently it said, like, people are sleeping on silver, but silver is going to overtake gold and out-excel and outperform gold. But, but people have, have no concept of it because of the historicity of the way that the two metals have performed, but they're like, be prepared. So it was about to be the number one thing on the planet. Dave's been saying that for as long as I've known him, and I see the signs as well. Right. Just pay attention to it. Now, there is one thing I did want to address before we go, because I think this is important, and this has to do with the usage of words. This is a very short piece before we go out, and it deals with um, Jenna's name, actually, and I want people to really get an understanding of why the term mentor is not a good term to use. It's a term that's co correct amongst white people, but if you're not <laughs> speaking to and amongst white people, you should be using a different term. So we're going to get into that real quick. That's, that's the last thing. I just Yo, feel I just tried to, to explain on. this to some uh, to an older gentleman before we uh, did this podcast tonight. Go ahead. Okay, well, hopefully he's listening. He'll hear this. This is called Jenna uh, versus Mentor, the story of Mentor and Telemachus by Mbrebe Aja Ishangi. And it says, um, we must understand that Greek mythology is just that, a myth. These made-up stories are of people that never existed. So why, why, did, why did Whitey create them? Probably to validate their existence. But we must understand many customs that we've adopted and have done so through ignorance of this little white lot. Quote and point. I mean, excuse me, case in point, the use of the word mentor. We so lovingly use for our African scholars that have influenced us. We forget the power that we give to something when you call on its name. Couple this with ignorance of the origin of these words. We actually disrespect something we intend to respect. The word mentor is defined as an advisor, guide, and the definition. And the fact confidant. that now, now people have started let's to say, don't panic. The things are not so bad. The question is, are things matter, really bad? Not to report Whether we panic or we don't, now, we have let's a look at the history of the word mentor again. In Greek mythology, mentor was the son of Alcumus. And in his dad's old age, a friend of Odysseus, a.k.a. Ulysses, when Odysseus left for the Trojan War, he placed mentor in charge of his son, Telemachus, and of his palace as well. 
Mentor, however, apparently had other plans that went beyond the mere development of Telemachus's cognitive skills. Mentor, like many other societal norms of Greece, was a homosexual who preyed on young boys to be used in their queer escapades. Mentor carefully cultivated a sexual relationship with Telemachus. Many are not aware that Greece was a society where homosexuality was the norm. Men took great pride in feeling the greatest love could only be experienced between two men, and women were only used for procreative purposes. The excuses given for this imbalanced yet societal acceptance of sexual misconduct was often explained as a man literally injecting male principles into the child through his buttocks. And we can see figuratively the sick pleasure a predator has in quote-unquote having his way with a child, never thinking of the natural displeasure and residual damage done to said child. This is the source of the modern use of the word mentor, a trusted friend, counselor, or teacher, usually a more experienced person. Some professions have quote-unquote mentoring programs, which in which are, excuse me, in which newcomers are paired with more experienced people in order to obtain examples and advice. Schools also have mentoring programs for new students who are having difficulties. Even apprentices often refer to superiors and even elders as their mentor. This word must be analyzed, historically processed, and frankly, removed from the African vocabulary. This is key for when we use the word, we are unknowingly honoring and condoning the acts of a predator something that has been widely accepted even in the perceived holiness of the Roman Catholic Church. The history of heads who created the English Potential big trouble for the Trump economy. The stock market posted its biggest decline of the year as a key predictor of recession is now flashing for the first... ...introduced a more suitable word when referring to those... Potential big trouble for the Trump economy. Potential big trouble for the Trump... Potential big trouble for the Trump... ...N-O-C-H in plural form. Those are special people who have, number one, been tested in struggle or battle. Number two, someone who demonstrates fearlessness. Number three, one who has the courage to protect their people, culture, and way of life. Number four, shown diligence and dedication to our people. Number five, produced an exceptionally high quality of work. And number six, dedicated themselves to the protection, defense, nurturance, and development of our young by advancing our people, place, and culture. Jenner, yeah, that's more appropriate. I highly recommend reading Homosexuality and the Assemblization of African Males by Omolini Baruti, and that is the end. Now, I also wanted to touch on this. It has just come out, and this came out from uh, Richard Pryor's former bodyguard, that Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney fell out, and that Richard Pryor actually, before he got burnt up by smoking the free base, actually put out a $1 million bounty on the head of Paul Mooney because Paul Mooney sexually um, had sex with his son, Richard Pryor Jr. And that Richard Pryor Jr. did confirm that this did happen. And he said the only reason that Paul Mooney's still alive was because shortly after he learned of the incident, uh, Richard Pryor set himself on fire. And, and the priority came, saving, came to be saving his life and making sure he survived that incident. And over time, the... Initi the initiation of the hit on Paul Mooney was stopped due to that fact. But if Richard Pryor didn't set himself on fire, Paul Mooney would have been dead long before him. And it was because uh, Richard Pryor felt betrayed because they were extremely close friends. And number two, he pretty much raped his, his son. And his son confirmed that it did happen to the security guard. So, mentor, let's not use that as African people. You know, like I said, if you're amongst white folks, 
you know, that'll probably be a more codified thing to do just because you are around, you know, the colonizer. But outside of those circles, you should be using the term jenna or jenak for plural if it's multiple people who have, that have influenced you in the ways that we previously discussed. Let's try and work on the terminologies that we use. And when we love and respect people, let's not disrespect them when we actually intend to respect them. Let's give them the highest honor possible as people of African descent. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you all again for giving me your ear tonight. I hope that that was something that you were able to learn from and that it helps you. And hopefully the, the brother that you were talking to about this earlier this evening, I hope he got to hear it, if not now. He gets to hear it during from the podcast, and he's able to, um, you know, understand that for himself. And I hope he learns something from it too. Do yeah, you have I'm anything else that, to say before we close that out? To him, uh, most definitely, but uh, you already did that. But we'll see y'all next week. Peace and love, much yes. love, much respect. Peace and love, one love. Stay safe. We'll see you next Tuesday. Creator willing. Potential big trouble for the Trump economy. The stock market posted its biggest decline of the year as a key predictor of recession is now flashing for the first time since 2007. The Dow's 800-point drop is more than 3%. Among some of the key factors, the effects of the trade war, along with signs of slowdowns in China and Germany... As the market was dropping, Trump was on social media slamming the guy he appointed as Federal Reserve Chairman, Jerome Powell, known to his friends as Jay, quote, China is not our problem, though Hong Kong is not helping. Our problem is with the Fed. Raised too much and too fast. Now too slow to cut. Say thank you to clueless Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve. On the one hand, every president faces the risk of economic blowback. But on the other, Donald Trump has told voters... Judge him on the markets and the economy. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States. We're the hottest economic country in the world. We have the number one economy on earth. Since he's been president, he tweeted 72 times bragging about the stock market results, seven times in the past four weeks. And, you know, what goes up does go down. And particularly with his reckless approach to trade and other economic issues, the tax cut that was squandered the way it was, uh, you know, we've got a big mess on our hands, and there's no one in the White House who can handle that. This slowdown that we're seeing right now, contrary to what the president has to say, is absolutely not the Fed's fault. I would lay this directly at the president's feet. This trade war is slowing down China's economy and having ripple effects all across the globe. Bond market interest rates in the U.S. have fallen to extraordinarily low levels. The yield on the 10-year Treasury, for instance, is at 1.55% tonight. The 30-year bond, which used to be the government's benchmark, yields less than 2%. The U.S. government can borrow money for 30 years at less than 2% tonight. $15 trillion of government bonds around the world have negative interest rates. In other words, you would pay the Swiss or German government to lend them money. This is all of a sign uh, all a sign of a slowing global economy and the rising risk of a worldwide recession. People expect, because of Donald Trump, the future looks hazy, the future looks scary. And that's when people run to bonds, because bonds are safe, 
more demand, lower the yield on those um, bonds. So it makes sense with this president stirring up so much chaos, so much uncertainty, that there would be a bit of a flight to bonds. But frankly, if we hit a recession, we don't have that much to work with. We don't have that much Correct. to work with fiscally, and we don't have that much to work with from a monetary policy. A recession is the last thing Donald Trump wants, as he is up for re-election next year. In fact, the last time the U.S. was in the middle of a significant economic downturn back in 2008, when President George W. Bush was in office, that recession worked against the Republican presidential candidate, Senator John McCain. You've had Republicans, you had them throughout the midterms, basically begging the president to focus on the economy, to focus on jobs he's created, to focus on the unemployment rate. They were really hoping that that's the thing that maybe will convince voters who, who don't like the tweets, who are, uh, you know, turned off by the president's rhetoric, maybe those numbers will help them decide that they want to vote for him in 2020. If he doesn't have a strong economy to point to, it's going to be a much more difficult uh, journey for the president to win in 2020. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching MSNBC on YouTube. If you want to keep up to date with the videos we're putting out, you can click subscribe just below me or click over on this list to see lots of other great videos.